Good morning, everybody. How is everybody doing? Anybody looking forward to their actual bed in their actual bedroom in their actual house? Yes, yes. That was a hearty, yes, please. So, very good. Well, uh, it's exciting. We're at our last one. Uh, thank you for uh, being with us all week. I've really enjoyed um, what we've done, and we've tried with our talks to kind of uh, ramp up to something. Uh, and really, the theme for me, as we kind of planned it, was uh, confidence for you guys. So we've talked about confidence in prayer, confidence in having faith in a, a world which is perhaps a bit anti-faith. Uh, and then yesterday, confidence in leading. Uh, and then today, a bit of confidence in perhaps calling and where you guys could go. And um, uh, we'll introduce that in a second. Uh, yesterday, we had a few guys come and do prophetic stuff with us. Uh, and pray, uh, and uh, and that's ju- just a really powerful thing to bring individual prophetic words. Uh, and I think that the guys that we're going to bring uh, up today to talk, uh, I think, and I'm not sure they would describe themselves in this way, but I think they go at prophetic in a very different way. There's a, a prophetic in in lifestyle, actually saying this is how we're going to live, this is where we're going to go, and. And you can just think, oh, that's good for them. Off they go and do their thing. Uh, But actually, it speaks of something to the rest of us for us to hear and us to learn, if that makes sense. So even if you're in the the big top this morning listening to Andy, what he is describing is actually a very prophetic thing. Andy is uh, prophetic in how he teaches and the kind of the statements he makes to challenge us. So I was dead keen to get him in front of you guys uh, and actually for us to hear that challenge, to be provoked by that uh, and to reflect on it. And for some of us, it will be a call to go. Uh, and a call to go to uh, unusual places. But for others of us, it will be a call to pray and actually a call to put money and commitment and friendship into people that go, if that makes sense. So anyway, I'm going to introduce Andy, and Andy is going to guide us through our morning. And at 20 past 12, there will be pizza. Uh, Apparently, there are going to be 15 pizzas bought here. Uh, So, um, yeah, yeah. So you will hopefully get... Maybe a slice each. I was told there are two vegetarian pizzas, which I got quite angry about. But for some of you, that will be good, uh, I'm sure. Uh, and, um, but then if we run out of pizza, you can charge off for lunch, but I'm hoping not. Um, there are benches down here. Uh, yeah, that's right. Let's be brave. Just get into these benches. Isaac, and, uh, you guys, why don't you move to this bench here? And that frees up a bench. There is another space here. You guys do very well to get over from the big top. Uh, Andy's big dog, he got a golf buggy, whatever. Right, so Andy, over to you. Thank you. Good. Man, pizzas is like, he's done that because he knows we can talk and that'll make us stop because there's only one thing better than talking and that's pizza. Eh? Good. Um, so this uh, session today, Uh, The title that we were given is Go Far, okay? And it's really just kind of asking, God, where do you want to send me? What would it look like for me as boring little old me from wherever to go far? Uh, What could God do? You know, who knows even in a room like this, right? What, What God could do with you, what God could do with you, where he could take you, what he's put in you. And so uh, what we're going to do, I'm just going to kind of open up and share three little ideas. And then we're just going to hear some, from some friends that are here this week who are serving in different countries. 
and hear a little bit of their story. And they're all different. They've got different stories. God's called people and used people in different ways. And I think that's so often a helpful way because there's no one way of finding out what God's calling you to do. There's no one journey. There's no one story. We're all different. God is infinitely creative. And so I'm just going to pray. I'm going to do a little intro, and then we're just going to hear from some proper heroes. Is that okay? Let's pray. Uh, Father, I think you really love spaces like this, where we've come because we've said, Lord, here I am, and um, I want to be used by you. And I pray, Father, that you right now would be here by your Spirit, that there'd be inspiration, that there'd be revelation, that you'd put things in our hearts, that hearts would burn even as we talk, uh, that you help us to steward whatever you give each one of us uh, really well. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a... Um, I got saved at 17. I kind of knew straight away that, that I was going to be in, the, in places where there were no Christians because I came from Cyprus. Uh, that was my part of the world. And I thought, I look east from Cyprus and a lot of those places just don't know Jesus. But I was always going, God, when am I going to go and what's it going to look like? And am I going tomorrow? You know, whatever. And I was in a meeting like this. Uh, I was 19. And the guy leading it said... Some of you, you know you want to do something for God, but you don't know when. You don't know if it's this year or 20 years' time or when do you start, you know. And, um, and right now I'm going to pray, and some of you are going to feel God give you a number. God will tell you. And I was like, can God do that? Is that, is that a thing? I don't know. I was not, you know, I'd only been a Christian a couple of years. So I closed my eyes, and I saw this picture of a rock with 11 years burned into it. And I opened my eyes. And I went, whoa, I'm 19. Quick maths, 19 and 11, 30. And then I went, I know the Bible a little bit. I know Jesus started his ministry at 30. I know David became king at 30. I know Joseph became prime minister at 30. I know the Levites started them. Okay, God's telling me I'm going to start at 30. So what that did, it settled me down. And I was like, okay, that means this girl that I'm dating, I can marry her. We could have some kids. We can live in the UK for a bit. We can... Um, uh, be part of planting a church in London, get some training. So it slowed me down. I was like, I've got 11 years. And then when we turned 30, we moved with the family to uh, Istanbul. It was funny. We, my wife knew she wanted four kids. And so we were doing the maths and going, okay, we need to get on with it. <laughs> and so we're like, ding, ding, ding. People are like, wow, your kids are close together. We're like, God spoke to us. And so everybody's story is different. But God doesn't want you fumbling around in the darkness. He will give you what you need. What I needed to know was like something that would just settle me down and park me in London for a bit. God knows what you need and he can speak to you specifically. Does that make sense? Okay. So three little things by way of introduction. Um, imagine far, pray far, and sent far. And I think these are the ingredients of going far in our calling with God. And so the first one, imagine far. Everything starts with imagination. Everything starts with sitting in the presence of God, with friends, talking, dreaming, and kind of going, what could it be like? You know, Einstein said, Einstein said, right, imagination is more important than intelligence. And what he was saying is lots of people are intelligent and they follow the tracks of science, you know, and they work within a certain furrow, but the imaginative don't work in that furrow. They end up over here. 
And in terms of a lost world that needs saving or unreached places that we need to get to, it takes a certain imagination, creativity. There's a reason some of these places are unreached. People have been trying and not succeeding. We need some imagination. And so there's a kind of, there's a call to sit in God, pray, dream with friends. And don't just imagine on your own, okay? That's something that English people tend to do. We tend to think, to hear from God, I need to be on my own, me and my Bible. Uh, And God can speak to you like that. He does speak to you like that. But there's a danger with that, which is that you're in the echo chamber of your own mind. Imagination happens best when you collaborate with other people that love you, that know you, that care about the same thing. When you pray together with other people, when you dream together with other people. And imagination works best, best, best when those other people are not like you. So it's not just, you know, all white guys sitting in a room dreaming together. But actually, we learn from each other. We, we see things differently. We th- and particularly when you're talking about the mission space and how big the world is, there's a real power in imagination together in a diverse group of friends hearing from God together. It's incredibly powerful. So that would be the first thing is imagination. And, and what happens is you, you start to get things in your heart, and a lot of you already do, and you start to dream. Oh, God, I wonder, if is this just me dreaming? Or is there a God thing in this? You know, I'd love to do dot, 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 but is that just me being arrogant, presumptuous? You know, it's just little old me, right? Uh, or is there a God thing in it? And I was in that place. And I felt God speak to me really clearly from a scripture from the story of David, uh, which I think could help you, where David is dreaming about building a house for God. He's just a shepherd boy, right? He's like the forgotten one. He's number eight son. So seven in Jewish culture is the perfect number. You know, creation, seven days. Seven is perfect. David's number eight. He's like superfluous, uninvited, unimportant, not even at the party. No one cares. That's David. But he starts to dream, oh, I wonder if I could build a house for God. I wonder if I could do something. And then the prophet comes to him and says, you've got it in your heart to build a house for God. It's good that you have this in your heart. And so I just want to say to you, if you've got stuff in your heart that you think, could I do this for God? It's good that you've got that in your heart. It's from God. It's not from your flesh that you want to do something for God. It's not from the devil. It's a good thing, right? So that's the first thing, okay? Imagine far. Quickly, turn to the person next to you and tell them, look them in the eye, and tell them to dream big dreams for God. Great. Number two, beyond imagining, is um, pray far. Okay, anyone that's gone far for God has prayed far first. You go places in prayer before you go there in your body. You go places where you're, you know, you get things done in prayer before you ever need to get things done. You know, as as a preacher, you pray for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours before you preach. The preaching is a tiny bit of the work. The work is all the praying you do before. As someone who wants to do something, you know, start a project, you pray for years and years and years and years and years before you start. 
and all the work gets done. So when you're doing it, you're actually just kind of following through in the space that the elephants of prayer have already crushed. You know, all you're doing is walking down this little road that you've already opened up in prayer. And um, I really encourage us as Christians to pray, to intercede, to commit to praying for countries that you will never go to. Okay? Because what's cool about that is when you get to heaven and you're wandering around heaven for eternity and everyone's going to speak loads of different languages but with A, we've got eternity to learn all the different languages to chat to everyone and B, we're going to have like renewed brains that are good at learning languages, right? So we're going to wander around heaven and chat to all these people from different parts of the world and different times in history and we're going to go, I've been praying for Afghanistan my whole life and you're from Afghanistan. I've got a stake in you, you know, buy me a coffee or whatever it's going to be in heaven. Do you know what I mean? Like, you owe me. I prayed you in. And, <laughs> and I'm dead serious that what God sees and what we do in prayer and where we get to in prayer and the things that are achieved that we will find out about in heaven, um, we'll never know in earth. But that's not what we're living for. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. It's huge. Uh, when I was a new Christian... I met someone who was living in Afghanistan. And they said to me, young man, I want you to pray for Afghanistan. And he said, here's a little bit of money from Afghanistan. Put it in your Bible. And whenever you come across it, pray for Afghanistan. And that was, I don't know, how many years ago, 25 years ago, longer. And um, I've still got that little bit of money. It's probably not worth anything. <laughs> One day I'll go there and try and buy a pizza or something, you know. Um, but I've still got it in my Bible, and um, still whenever I see it, I'm sending up a prayer for Afghanistan. I haven't been there. I'd like to go there one day, but I pray regularly for this nation, right? I'd encourage you, pick a random place, um, spin a globe, you know, whatever it is. But like, get something in your heart. Whenever Afghanistan comes up on the news, I notice it, I think about it, I pray for it. Whenever I meet someone from Afghanistan, I'm interested. I ask them questions because it's, it's got into my heart. Because I Does that make sense? So, and some of you are called to be proper intercessors for nations. Some of you, the thing that God has got for you, and it's a secret thing and no one will ever see it, is go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you that secret thing that you do in your room with the door closed that no one will ever know about and the times that you wake up in the middle of the night because you're prompted by the spirit and you pray and no one ever knows and they're like why do you look so tired this morning and you don't tell them you know that like praying praying for some of you that's that needs to be your thing and Livy's word this morning about you know God wants to teach us to pray I really think that okay um, so, you know, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. So imagine far, pray far. And then the third thing for me is sent far. And I think the thing with this is whatever you move towards, you know, whether it's go and start that business or, um, you know, go and work with these these people in need or move to another country and start a church or, you know, what, whatever it is with you in your journey that God ends up having you do, don't do it on your own. Make sure that you're sent. Make sure that you're going with a community, with people. Don't, you know, one of the things, 
one of the sad things that's happened with the mission agency idea is that young people go, I want to go to Bolivia and this mission agency's work, so I'm just going to jump out of my church and go there and do my thing. But their church isn't part of the journey, isn't part of the story. They've kind of, they've, they've subcontracted it out to a mission agency. And the church is supposed to be the, the people that are owning the mission of God. And so I'd encourage you, whatever it is that God has put on your heart, even right now, you know, after New Day, you're going to go back and you're going to do something in your school or your college or your workplace. You're going to initiate something. Don't do it on your own. Have friends who are checking in on you, cheering for you. Jesus never sent anyone on, on their own. The minimum he sent them out was two by two, right? And um, I, I think if your church can come with you on things, if you can get people in your church praying for you, your church will love it. Your church, you're going to go, I want to do this thing for disabled kids in my town. Your church is never going to go, have fun, off you go. They're not. If they are, they're a dumb church, right? Send them to see me, I'll sort them out. But in all seriousness, your church are going to love that. They're going to go, how can we cheer for you? How can we pray for you? What do you need? How can we be involved? That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Okay? So be sent. When we uh, were turning 30 <laughs> and we were like, oh, the time's coming. God has spoken to us about and we've had all these kids. and <laughs> You know, let's go. Um, we went and saw uh, Dave Devonish, uh, if you're familiar with that name, but he was kind of responsible within our family of churches for uh, the part of the world that we cared about and we said basically we could go anywhere we don't have a specific city on our hearts I said we could we want to go that part of the world like eastern Mediterranean and we want to go somewhere where there's hardly any churches and we want to go somewhere where it's quite difficult um, and we said where do you want to send us we don't want to go on our own we said we could go Istanbul we could go Beirut we could go Cyprus, for example. And Dave said, don't go Cyprus. You just want to go to the beach. That's lazy. No. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Um, uh, Beirut and Istanbul, we want to plant churches in both of them. And we drilled in and said, no, but what are you guys feeling as an apostolic team, as people that are praying? You know, we want to be sent. And he said, okay, we've really been praying for young families to move to Istanbul. So would you consider that? So we said, yeah, we will. So we went and had a look. Um, and, and came back, and I was going, yeah, definitely. And Jess, who was pregnant with our fourth, came back and was going, hell no. <laughs> you know, be pregnant, ill all week, missing the other kids, walking around this city going, I hate this. So then we had this thing where I was going, yeah, and Jess was going, no. And, um, and our, all our friends and elders in the church were asking us, like, what, um, you know, what are you going to do? You've been to Istanbul, is it time to eat? And I was going, we can't really talk about it because every time we talk about it, we're shouting and throwing stuff at each other and that's not godly. Um, so uh, I was secretly praying, again, secretly praying. I was secretly praying that God would speak to Jess by Christmas, really clearly, in her own heart about her own calling and her own journey, but that God would tell her it was in Istanbul, right? So prayer is powerful, friends. Um, and so I was secretly praying that God would speak to her by Christmas. No word of a lie, two days before Christmas, I get a text from Jess saying, Turkey, it's a yes. And I was, we had been talking about whether we were going to have gammon or turkey for Christmas dinner. Um, so I wasn't sure if she meant the food or the life forever in mission. So I think I texted back for life or just for Christmas, you know. And um, she'd, be, she'd had this moment where she'd been saying, God, I'd love 
a big sign written in front of me that said, go to Turkey. That's what I want God to hear from you. And she'd felt God whisper to her, kind of, that's not going to happen. But, you know, you need to trust me and you need to take a step of faith. So she'd sent me this text, Turkey, as a yes, as a step of faith, even though she wasn't feeling anything. But then uh, she'd got in the car to go out and she'd got stuck in traffic behind a taxi and there was an advert on the back of the taxi, a tourist advert that said, go to Turkey. (laughs) And she's sitting there going, God, why did I need to send that text first and then get my big written sign that I've been praying for, right? But so I think, you know, the point that I was trying to make is we go together, we go, we, we, we found five other families to come with us to Istanbul, we moved together, we learned language together, we plant church together. Um, and so I think it's being sent, it's having your friends as part of the journey, having the church, don't, don't ever try and do anything on your own, guys. It's tough, it's dangerous, it's painful, it doesn't work. So three things from me, okay? Imagine far, pray far, and sent far. We go together with others. Um, I'm now going to hand over to Sharon Lex. They're going to come and introduce themselves, tell some of their story. Hi, everyone. I'm Sharon, and this is Alexis, my wife. Um, so we'll share a bit of our story, but just firstly, since we're the first ones up, I'd like to claim it from what he said about praying. Pray for us in Kurdistan, Iraq. So I'm going to tell you guys to do that before the other guys do it. So we've all agreed that that's happening. Um, so in terms of just our story, I'll share a bit of mine and Alexis will share hers because obviously they're very different. Um, I became a Christian at the age of 15. I was around 17 and I was in Manchester, actually. And then um, I hadn't really much, much, I hadn't read much of the Bible. It feels like not much has changed, but I hadn't read any of the Bible, so I didn't know any of the books. And then just the word Acts 26 came into my head and I was like, I don't know what this is. So I spoke to a friend, we opened it up and we found it. And then we got to the bit where uh, Paul is giving his account of his conversion. And then in that, as he's sharing, and he talks about how he was taken from his people and he was taken out of the darkness, he was shown the light and he was going to be sent back. And I was like, I don't know what this is about. What do you think? Then I spoke to my youth leader and he said, I think, Shara, that's for you. That's what God's done for you. He took you out of Iraq, which is the Kurdish region, which is where I'm from. I was born there. And then he saved me, brought me to the UK. I was saved. And then God was saying, I'm going to send you back to them. So I was about 17, 18 in Manchester. Um, day-to-day life, got, did uni, finished nursing, had a job, met Alexis, um, and we, I managed to fall her into it as well. Um, and then as we were going, um, obviously it was a really tough decision to make. You're going as a family to, obviously to Iraq. A lot of people have a lot strong opinions about that. Um, at that time, there's still quite a lot of conflict. And I was getting into the train and going to work. And I was like, oh, God, are we making the right decision? It was, you know, quite scary. And, and I was just reminded of this as Andy was sharing his uh, verses from songs. And I had listened to a song by a guy called Andy Mineo. Um, and obviously there was a lot of fear in my heart about it. Even though I was going back to my home nation, my family were there. But and in the verse he says, I'm not scared of death nor Satan because I know whose hand my um, name's engraved in. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's what I needed to hear, God. I don't need to be scared of what death could bring. I'm not going to be scared of Satan because I know whose name my hands are engraved in. And that, for me, was a really powerful turning moment of, of God giving me that confidence there. Okay, it's good to go. Ignore all the voices that are saying, don't go. Um, and, and I will look after you, and I will care for you. Um, so, yes, yeah, so as uh, Shari said, um, we have left the UK as a family nine years ago. 
Um, we've got two children. We've got us. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. It's been a long week. Um, we've got a 12-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. And um, when I first met Sharo, um, so I'm from London, and I think, uh, not to judge Londoners, but I think we're quite bad at geography generally, like anywhere out of London, anywhere in the rest of the world. And so I met Sharo, and he told me he was Kurdish, and I honestly did not know, like, what, what does, I didn't know what that meant, where, where, did, where does that mean you actually come from? I had no knowledge that so he was, like, drawing, he, we were in a, a pub and he was uh, using, like, salt and pepper and going, well, imagine this is Turkey and this is, a, I didn't actually know where those countries were, so it didn't, it didn't help too much to understand, but just a bit of understanding of where that was. Um, and we, we hadn't been dating for that long. And I think Sharo, at that time, he'd already knew that God was calling him back. And so he thought, I don't really want to invest in this. If this girl would, if, if she's like, no, I would never move um, to Iraq. Um, let me, so he really early on was like, <laughs> would you ever move to Iraq? Because that's what God's calling me to. And um, my, it was actually all over emails. We were a bit more romantic then. <laughs> 15 years later, there's no, sadly, no more romantic emailing. But um, <laughs> lots. Yeah, it, it is on him. It is on him. <laughs> So and we're sending all these emails back and forth. And I remember my reply was, um, well, God's not put a particular place on my heart, but he has put people and uh, people groups and the really like strong people group that God had put on my heart since I was a child was to work with orphans. And um, so my response to Shara was, well, if we could work with orphans, I would go to Iraq, like wherever um, I could do that. That's what I feel God's calling me to. And um, and it's just been such a long journey. And just as we were getting ready to go, so I'm a doctor and Sharo's a nurse, and we were just kind of left our jobs and sold our house, and we were all ready to go. And just at the same time we were wanting to go to that area, um, ISIS were also <laughs> going into that area. And so we were like, oh, because um, we had a baby and a three-year-old. And, and it wasn't actually that we didn't want to go, but what we didn't want to do is go and have to leave really quickly. We really wanted to go and to be able to stay. So we were just like waiting to see what happened. They actually got about 50 kilometers from one of the cities and not far from where we're living now. And so we were like watching the news and we had just didn't know what we were going to do. We had some friends that were going to church plant in North Cyprus and so, and they felt God put us on their heart because they knew we'd kind of left everything and we were ready to go somewhere. And so they were like, come with us. We feel God wants you to come and help, like support what we're doing. Be with us at the start while you're waiting to see how the situation kind of settles there. And um, that was an amazing year and a half. And we like really properly fell in love <laughs> with North Cyprus. Could have happily stayed there, as Andy said, the beaches. <laughs> but just the life, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But while we were there, um, uh, actually a very sad thing happened in the news. Um, there was a really kind of big story at the time, which was a, a little boy had drowned. Um, he was uh, with his family. He was a refugee. He was trying to come out of the, actually the part of the world that we live in now. And um, he drowned, and obviously that happens a lot. But this little boy, because um, someone had taken a photograph of him, it had become like a big media story. Like every now and then these things do, and very sadly, become a big story. And when, like, I saw that, oh, it broke my heart. Like, really, I've never really felt that heartbroken. You know, like, if you lose someone that is like a relative, that, like, heavy rock feeling in your heart like I was grieving like that um and and up until that point 
even though I was like ready to go, I'm a little bit of an optimist. So I was like, yeah, we'll go, we'll go. But inside, I actually still had a lot of fear, um, like constantly checking the news, what's happening, what's happening with Islamic State. But when I saw that and like God broke my heart for that, like from that day, I just had peace. I was like, I'm ready to go. And, um, and then it was quite funny because we were like talking about going. I remember we just before we went, we were at a Catalyst Festival. And I think Andy was speaking actually, and I, he kind of went, and you know, you've got people like Sharon and Alexis, they're moving to Iraq. And the whole room, like thousands of people are like, <gasps> and that was really, really disconcerting because I was like, oh, <laughs> everyone's finding that. <laughs> I think he might have said something like, they're ready to die for Jesus. And I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I don't know if we said that. I don't know if that's what we've agreed to. <laughs> But there was like this collective gasp of horror because I think Andy also said they're moving with their young children. So people were a bit like, what are you doing? Um, so, but we didn't have that fear. Like genuinely, we've got, we've, since that day when God really broke my heart and really said now, like now is the time you have to go leave your beautiful island living that you have in Cyprus. Like that was harder to leave. People say about, was it hard to leave the UK, no. Was it hard to leave Cyprus? It was really, really hard to leave Cyprus. But got, from that day, it was like, we, you know, this peace to go, ready to go. Um, and so we've lived there for about seven years. We're really bad with dates, sorry. But about seven years. And um, we've got a charity. We started a charity there. And we work. So the first thing, if you remember, was that little boy and his family and that had really broken our hearts so the first place we felt God telling us to go was to go and work with refugees and displaced people and that were there Um, and our charity is called Hope for Communities because what God put on our heart was um, go there love people there help them to find hope there because it's hopelessness that would get you into a boat when you can't swim get you with your children into a boat when you can't when none of you can swim without life jackets with holes in the boat and try and make it across to a better place that's complete hopelessness so God put that put that in our hearts to go and try and help bring hope bring love to people there um, but as we said we had a heart for orphans, that was another thing that God had really put on my, our heart. So Shara's going to tell you um, Yeah, so when we pray, as Andy said, I think that's the pivotal part. You're, you're constantly praying about these things. And our heart was always, who are the most unreached? Wherever we go, whatever city, even though a place like Kurdistan, Iraq, there is a lot of unreached, a lot of marginalized, a lot of hurting uh, people who need help, who need hope, who need love. Um, but it's actually, who are the most marginalized? Who are the most outcasts in that society? So we're always, that was our heart and our prayer. Um, and obviously, Alexis' heart was always to, to work, always work with orphans. Um, and then during COVID, uh, obviously everything closed down, even in Iraq. Um, and we were praying, okay, how, what do we do? We had to close our projects, the centres that we had, we had to close down. And then God opened a door for us to start working into the orphanages. And so for three years, we've been working into the government orphanages. And and actually, it's interesting. So recently I met with the director of the orphanages and we meet, had a prayer meeting. I have a Monday prayer meeting with some friends. And she said... I'm praying that God's fingerprint would be on everything that you're that you're doing. Um, yeah, in a prayer meeting, sorry. And then the next day, I had this meeting with the director of the orphanages and some of the, her managers. And then the manager and the, uh, and the director both said to me, I've been asking about you guys and what you're doing. And all I can see is your fingerprint in everything. Wherever I go within the government offices, I just keep hearing about you and you're really leaving a fingerprint. And, and we haven't done anything extraordinary, to be fair. It's just, the first thing is just obedience. We've just done the small things and done an ordinary day-to-day life. We're just living our lives, but just loving people as we're doing it, being Christ-like as we're doing it. 
Um, and in the orphanage, it's been amazing seeing our staff, most of whom are not Christians, but seeing their hearts being transformed and seeing the kingdom values that we've placed and seeing how they've been then going into the orphanages with us and impacting our own communities. Just like one quick uh, testimony about the orphanages. So when we first went in, so there's a few different orphanages in our city, and we were going into just each one for two hours. And then obviously these uh, young people have pre, like they're in there because they've been through a lot of trauma, and unfortunately still lots of trauma is continuing. And so we were like two hours a week. Like is that really having an impact on their every day? And but we felt we were obedient. God was saying, no, go in, love these kids. That's kind of the door that was open. That's what we were doing. So we did it for two years, and some people were like, well, what, what are you doing? You're just going in and playing and singing and having fun for two hours a week. But then, because uh, Sharo spoke about this fingerprint, people who worked in the orphanages started to say, I see something really different about your team, about your staff, and um, we need that for all our staff. So they asked us to, to start to provide training for all the people that care for the children all the time. So every person that is caring for the children um, in these all of the orphanages across our city came to a training that we were able to give and we could talk about love and care. And, you know, if these kids are naughty, it's because they've... I know naughty is not the right word, but if they think they're naughty, it's because they're traumatised and this is how you love them, this is how you care for them. So as I just re- was reminded of that when Shara was talking about obedience. Like, sometimes you're like, well, it's two hours a week, what, what are we really doing? But if God is telling you to do something and you obey, he'll just keep opening doors. You, j- you sometimes just have to take that first step into what is he telling me to do today? What do I need to, how do I need to respond to what I'm hearing today? And then when you do that and you're faithful and you're obedient, more doors will open. I'm gonna hand over to Sarush. Salam ba hamigir uzatun bechir. Barakat salamati khuda ba shama bache. Oops, sorry. Talking about mission and sorry. It's gonna be in good old English. Hi. <laughs> no, I just thought I'd give you a bit of a taste of what it's like if you go on mission. And this is what people are going to probably sound like uh, when you get there. Uh, I'm here to convince you not to go on mission because it's hard. It's difficult. Don't do it, guys. But if you do it, don't do it in Europe. Come to the Middle East. We'll feed you kebabs instead of pizza. So <laughs> I'm just going to share a bit of my life story with you and how we uh, felt led to be in Turkey, where we are now, and where we have been for the past two and a half years. Uh, I was born and raised in Iran into a Muslim family and uh, into the first Islamic Republic in the world. Uh, the country was a fairly democratic country until about 45 years ago when there was a revolution and it became the first Islamic Republic uh, with the main task of turning everyone into, uh, well, uh, making sure that everyone uh, are, is following Islam. So saturated with Islam in the society, day-to-day life. And I was around the age of 14 or 15 when I came to Christ because a friend invited me to Alpha. Uh, no, it wasn't. It, uh, there isn't such a thing there. Uh, I was just... <laughs> was just um, walking towards the local mosque to take part in the uh, evening prayer as normal. And as a young Muslim, I would have never dared to question God. But I thought, I'm going to do it because I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm doing this. I was reminding God of, of what I was doing for him. And then I said, but why is it that I still feel that there is something missing in my heart? And, of course, I asked God a question, and he usually answers in different ways. And I was walking towards the mosque. I heard a call saying, have you heard about Jesus? Looked around. There wasn't anyone there. Knew it was divine intervention. To cut the long story short, 
I gave my life to Christ after reading the Bible in my own language, which was translated by an English guy called Henry Martin 120 years prior to me reading it. So, um, you see, this is mission. A guy who didn't even make it back home, uh, he died in, on his way to England. He died in Turkey. So, there's a lot to be proud of in terms of in this nation. So, I was around the age of 21 when I got married to my better half, Mavash, who's somewhere here, I think. Yes, she's just walked in. Mm-hmm. She keeps everything going, keeps me in check. Um, and then what do you do when you get married? You go on honeymoon. Uh, we had to run away. Like Literally seven days after we got married, we had to run away for our lives. Escaped the country, uh, came to the UK as refugees um, around 20 years ago or so. Uh, settled in the northeast in Teesside, a place... Wow, brilliant. So we've got people from Teesside, a wonderful place. And we were received in the church and uh, were made part of the family. Uh, We weren't just guests there. We were part of the family and just love the community there. So it was a white middle class church that is now a church made of probably uh, people from 20 different nations. Last Sunday I was preaching there and I think I had six people praying and one of them was in English, five of them in other languages. I had no idea what they were. So this is the kingdom of God. So mission starts on your doorstep by receiving people and also going to them. Uh, So I want to encourage you, if you are part of a church in the UK and you have people from other cultures coming in, welcome them. Not just a welcome that would make them feel like an honored guest. Welcome them into the family. Make them part of the family because this is mission in reverse. God is bringing people to this nation. I gave you an example of people going from this nation. God is doing something amazing. He's bringing the unlikely into this nation to change the nation. So receive them in your churches if you're not part of a church that has people from other nations, but you have them in your town. They need to be represented in your churches. So do go out to them. It may feel scary at the beginning, but trust me, as you go and are felt led by God, people will come and see Jesus in you. So bring them into the family, and you're missing out on something great if you're not already doing that. So... That's the one thing. So we grew up in that church. Um, I was uh, part of the leadership team for a number of years and traveled to Turkey uh, around 10 years ago because a friend was traveling there and said, oh, there's this wonderful church. Why don't you come and um, visit? So Mavish and I went, and the first thing that my wife said is, nobody's going to force us to move to Turkey. And I said, no, trust me, I have no intention of moving there. We just settled in Teesside, so not going anywhere. Uh, Went there, and the first question from the guy who planted the church was, you seem to be a really good guy. Would you consider moving to Turkey? And the response was a very polite way of saying no, but we have an expression in the northeast in Teesside saying, you're joking, Anya. <laughs> so if you know that, yeah, I said that in my head, but very politely declined and said, no, I don't think I'll ever move to this part of the world. Fast forward a few years, uh, we, were, we both had prophetic words from people. We both had this nation and the people group that are represented in this particular town in our hearts and felt led by God to move there. And when we mentioned it in the leadership team, the guy who's uh, one of my best friends and leads the team said, no, it can't be from God. And then a few, I said, well, uh, God would speak to you. If it's not, then yeah, I'll uh, take it. But then a few months later, he came back and said, it was my friendship that uh, that stopped me from saying yes. I repented from that. I want you to go. We want to support you. We want to send you. Just like Andy said, it needs to be a church thing. And you know what? That's amazing because we're there now in Turkey, and we know that we're not on our own. We know that a wonderful family that received us and allowed us to grow 
are now supporting us in prayer in everything that's going on. They're aware of everything in our lives, supporting us pastorally, coming to visit us and taking great news back home. So make sure that whatever you do is part of, your church is part of the journey. So we moved there with three kids in the thick of COVID, landed in Yalova, a wonderful place, an hour south of Istanbul, to a church where there are uh, people from a variety of nations, three different main languages. And it was in that place where a few years ago I was preaching in the Arabic service. And if you know the history between Iran and Iraq, just like every neighboring nation, um, there's anonymity. Um, Iraq tried to invade Iran, and there was eight years of war. And my hometown, which was one of the most prosperous towns in the whole of the country, was uh, almost completely destroyed. Uh, we lost everything uh, that my father had worked hard for. And from a young age, uh, we had to run away and move to another city. So I had this hatred towards Iraqis in my heart, and it was generally encouraged as well. Um, I remember when uh, I became a Christian, a few years later, I was thinking there are more Christians, more people that would identify that they are part of God's family, like me, in the neighboring nation that I hate, than there are in Iran. And as I was preaching in the Arabic service, there were many Iraqis, and at the end, one of them came, hugged me, he was in floods of tears, and he just kept saying, forgive me. And I was thinking, I hardly know you, what have you done? I'm in Turkey, you couldn't have scratched my car, because it's back in the UK. What's the worst you could have done? And then when he really pulled himself together, he said, forgive me. I was amongst the first troop of soldiers going into your hometown. And I remember going into houses as people were eating together, as families were just about to eat. I was amongst the first to go in and destroy families and destroy your town and, your, and lives. Forgive me. And then I realized I had received healing for this, and I loved this nation, and I love Arabic speakers, and I, there is something great about worshiping with them. But it's more than that. God's kingdom is about testifying to a God who brings people who were former enemies. And it wasn't just about me being healed. It's about me being that vessel of healing and forgiveness. So to tell this guy, God has forgiven you. Come together. And now we're worshiping together. Another great testimony is that I'm part of the leadership team and meet weekly with these guys. And one of them is a former officer in the Iraqi uh, army. And his job was to look after the Iranian captives. So if there were war captives, he would be in, in charge of them. So I'm sitting down with this guy who is in his late 60s, and we sit down and plan and come up with a vision in terms of how can we reach the people in this town and what can we do for God's kingdom together? Former enemies coming together. And this happened because we said yes, right, yeah, that sort of uh, unsure yes to God. And then God made it possible for us. So it may seem a bit difficult, and tr uh, trust me, it is difficult in all honesty, but what the sort of things that you're going to see, the stories that you will have in your life, the impact that it will have on your life more than anything else, it's going to be great. So I want to encourage you, take it in heart, see what God has for you, don't be scared. There is nothing wrong with having a particular people group on your mind, but don't limit yourself to it. Wonderful to be here and share this. Thank you so much for this contribution. So I'm Ian, and as you can tell from my accent, I'm in, from Athens in Greece, and I've been there. <laughs> the old ones are the best. Um, so I've been in, um, I've been in Athens uh, in Greece for two years um, by virtue of my wife, who is now the UK Deputy Ambassador, and um, she, uh, we were praying um, to, because uh, Susan had to, as part of her career trajectory, she had to... Um, 
people of her um, status in the Foreign Office were encouraged to uh, apply for jobs abroad. Uh, I love travelling, but I love the UK. I said, I, I won't, don't want to go, but I will pray about it. And um, nearly two years ago, we moved as a family to Greece. And I remember sitting there in the first week saying, right, this is Goswell, this is okay, but four years' time, we're going straight back to South East London. Um, and then God slowly has uh, worked to me. Um, I am doing a mix of things. I'm, I'm doing a part-time PhD in Aberdeen in, in political theology. I do a day-week working with the Salvation Army in Greece uh, because I work for the Salvation Army in the UK. And, um, and also I do a day-week with a couple from the Catholic Church Network, Jonathan Sarah, co-host, who've moved to Greece for life to, to plant churches amongst um, well, refugees and, and marginalised communities. And what God has tell me when I need to stop this because I might go. Um, what what I mean, what God has done in my life is a couple of things. One is we are, we will have to leave Greece in two years because of the contract cycle of my wife's job. We may go back to the UK, but actually I'm up for going somewhere else. Uh, primarily be through my wife's job unless I'm headhunted, which is highly unlikely, and I would be worried if I was headhunted. But um, that but that's a possibility. So God's done a change in. Uh, I'm doing something wrong if I'm headhunted. God has done a change in me in, in the sense that prior to uh, going, um, going to Greece, I would have definitely, the Great Commission, Discipleship, the Nations, yeah, that's, that's, thumbs up to that, that's really good. The context I was working, I was working in UK politics, and that really is my primary passion, seeing the kingdom come in the public square, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, and um, but what God is doing is just putting me in a context from learning a bit more about the Great Commission, a bit more about discipleship. And um, I'm just, I don't really know, to be honest, where that is going to take me. But, I mean, we've had challenges, we've, but it's been a, a, a good journey. And the, the reason I'm here this week is um, to sing for my supper. I'm helping with the Unreached Network, which Andy uh, leads and serves, which is really... Within, our, within the New Frontiers movement, but, but more importantly within the Kingdom of God, looking to facilitate cross-cultural mission and to serve those. There are many young people who come to New Day. There's an authentic sense of they've got a taste of mission, but they need, might benefit from a community that, 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 that will help you in terms of uh, finding something that more specific, finding some context and supporting you in that journey. And that has really help me I've met some wonderful people and I would love uh, to find a pithy and a motivational way to summarize uh, but I can't but it's 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 been um it's been a, it, it, it's been hard but it's been a wonderful journey it's it's not been hard for me in terms of my wife getting the job I live in a house with a swimming pool it's not been you know the sac- the sacrifice is is uh, uh, is just is just it's smaller than the swimming pool that we had in in London no um is uh, that's another story. It, the, it's not been hard for me to path the, the way to Greece was paved through my wife's job, but what God has done has o- opened up opportunities and insights and relationships, um, and, and knocked a few of my prejudices out of me okay, towards the Foreign Office, but not towards Greece, um, and, and just made me a bit more personally comfortable to operate uh, in 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 that environment. Thank you very much. And uh, these guys have just been part of planting a stunning new church in the middle of Athens, uh, which launched in January.
which is full of refugees from many nations because many refugees wash up in Athens um, on their way into Europe. And it's just, you know, they, they meet in, I don't know, six or seven different languages, people from different places. It's just beautiful what they're doing in terms of picking up broken lives there. Um, so what, what we've tried to do in this session, are the pizzas here? Ah, beautiful. What we've tried to do is just give you a little flavor, different people, different stories, different journeys, but they're all reflections of what it could mean to go far. And what I'm hoping is that everyone has grabbed something from one of these stories, from one of these moments that will help you in your journey. So we're going to eat pizza. Do you need anything else, Tim, from us? No, that's good. Great. Matt and Joe and Beth, do you want to get the pizzas out of the car? Right, let's pray. I think we've heard some stunning things this week and this morning actually some of the provocations as people have told their stories and how they have thought about their life in their 20s. That's very important even to think when I'm going to get married the kids I'm going to have the sense of what I want to do. Actually to very deliberate kind of prayer steps that have been made even Sharon Alexis is like second date is are you cool with moving to Iraq? <laughs> it's just that actually there's the call of God uh, and then there's no, and actually the things that happen in my life now need to match up to that. Not the call of God is lucky if it gets to keep me. And that's uh, provocative for us in our day and age. Lord God, you are magnificent. We thank you that you can bring uh, Iranians and Iraqis who fought each other together to plant a church in Turkey. Wow, Lord God, that's stunning. Lord, we thank you that you can send uh, an Iraqi back to his home nation with his new uh, British wife and family to begin a a great work there. Lord God, we thank you that you can, uh, uh, in someone's life circumstance, they can end up in Greece with a great opportunity to serve. Uh, and to help a church get planted, Lord Jesus. We lift it all to you. And Lord, for the, these uh, people here now, Lords, I pray you would give them faith in their hearts to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? Like, what is it? Or that, what nation would you like me to pray for? Where would you like me to put my money, Lord God? We lift it all to you. By your Holy Spirit, would you nudge, provoke, would you call Yes, Lord Jesus. Amen.